This is a recording of An Open Letter to Dr. Michael Coe by John L. Sorensen, originally published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, Volume 1, Issue 1, 2012, pages 91 through 109, read by Brad Haymond. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged, the journal and its website are credited, and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles and resources on Mormon scripture can be found at mormoninterpreter.com. Abstract. In August 2011, John Dalen conducted a three-part interview with famed Mesoamericanist Michael Coe. Dalen operates the podcast series Mormon Stories, which features interviews discussing the faith and culture of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This article examines a large number of dubious claims made in those interviews, providing clarifications, responses, and references to numerous sources dealing with those issues. Much more detail will be forthcoming in Dr. Sorensen's new book, Mormon's Codex. Dear Mike, Some people see a placid stream ahead of them, and think the water must be safe to cross, only to find that their depth perception was faulty, and deep holes await them. Something like that has happened to you in regard to your podcast with Mr. Dalen about the Book of Mormon. Before you and other readers repeat the difficulties you encountered, I venture to offer some corrections. About Archaeology Coe said, quote, These things don't disappear forever. They leave traces. If you had iron or steel, you would expect to find these things. Even if they were all rusted, you'd find chemical remains. Close quote. It is interesting to see your loyalty to the ideals of archaeology, but surely you know that the realities are quite different. The first place where the two collide is in sampling. Probably no more than 200 ancient Mesoamerican sites have been seriously excavated, and those excavations have rarely dug into more than a small portion of the inhabited area of those sites. It would be surprising if as much as one ten-thousandth of the information potentially obtainable by studying the material remains has so far been disclosed. Sure, much of the rest would no doubt yield data mainly duplicative of what is already known, but some would not, and a large portion of what has already been excavated has not been studied by contemporary methods, or is not accessible for study. So ancient remains of metals may leave traces, but can anybody name even a single site where chemical remains have been widely sought by modern methods? I doubt it. An example of the sampling problem is evident at the site of the Utatlan. Fox, Wallace, and Brown reported finding by chance a location just outside the site proper where 200 molds for the manufacture of copper at an industrial level came to light. The facility would have been far larger than what was needed for the city's requirements. What is the chance that such an isolated facility outside the central ceremonial centers, where excavation usually goes on, would ever have been discovered at other places? Then there is the problem of accessing the information that does exist. I have spent considerable time searching site reports for mentions of metal objects that have been found that apparently date before the metal curtain of about eighty nine hundred in Mesoamerica in the area, but are conventionally ignored in discussions of the history of metallurgy. There have proved to be several hundred such specimens dating from four hundred BC to eighty nine hundred, 
153 of which were excavated by professional archaeologists. Why bother to seek chemical traces of metal when actual specimens are totally ignored? This incidence of metal objects would be even more surprising were it not for the fact that terms have been reconstructed in five major Mesoamerican language families that mean metal or metal ball, all the words thought to refer to times prior to 1000 B.C. Obviously, excavational archaeology still has a long way to go in reconstructing a complete history of Mesoamerican metallurgy, including both terrestrial and meteoric iron among more than a dozen known metals and alloys. Eminent metallurgical expert Dudley Easby commented regarding this history, quote, The relative apparent absence of metals in the early Americas constitutes one of the most infuriatingly enigmatic subjects in the history of technology. Close quote. The question of the presence of the horse in civilized Mesoamerica further illustrates the problem of what is adequate archaeological sampling and documentation. C. E. Ray's report of finding horse bones in deep layers of the waterhole at Mayapan or Yucatan raised anew an issue that Mercer and Hatt had earlier noted with their finds of horse bones in Yucatan caves. The matter was compounded by Peter Schmidt's 1988 work in Lulton Cave that found horse bones scattered throughout a number of layers of early pottery-bearing debris. He observed, Something went on here that is still difficult to explain. Interestingly, he was not aware of Ray's finds. There are also further evidences for pre-A.D. 1500 dates of other horse bones, including three radiocarbon-dated finds from North America. This, like the metals, is an unfinished archaeological story, in this case defying the dictum that there were no horses for the last 10,000 years in America. Simultaneously, it shows the limits of the data revealed by excavations about which so much is said. Another possibility is that some other species was counted as a horse. For example, upon seeing Spanish horses, the Aztecs referred to them as the deer that people ride, and there are artistic representations of riders on deer. So what is a horse? About the Book of Mormon Coe says the Jaredites, quote, didn't really survive terribly long, close quote. Coe also says the Jaredites, quote, go back what, something like 4, 500 B.C., close quote. The Jaredites left Mesopotamia at the time of the Great Tower, presumed to have been around the time of the earliest ziggurat, perhaps a little before 2500 B.C. Their demise as a functioning society was after 600 B.C. Coe says the Nephites, quote, were highly civilized people, close quote. In origin, yes, except that their small initial party, fewer than 35 men, women, and children, slogged 1,200 miles through the rugged mountains of western Arabia over an eight-year period, and subsisted mainly on uncooked meat. This would take most of the civilization out of anyone. When they embarked from the coast of Amman on a voyage of more than 20,000 miles, they took no animals with them and little technology, except what knowledge they carried in their heads. Upon landing, Lehi's crew must have been about as decultured as a frazzled band of people could be. Coe says, quote, they had cattle, they had horses, they had wheat, close quote. Coe also says, maize, by the way, isn't really mentioned in the Book of Mormon, close quote. See above regarding horses. 
Immediately after landing, probably in coastal Guatemala, Lehi's people did find beasts in the forests. At length, some of those creatures ended up domesticated, by means and hands not described. Clearly, the animals consisted of Native American species, to which the newcomers, by a process familiar to groups encountering exotic fauna, applied nearest look-alike names to the newly encountered critters. The first mention of grain cultivation occurred nearly 400 years later. Corn, wheat, and barley. Corn was the grain of choice. What crop the name wheat was given to is never clarified, but of course it probably would have been some native one. Eventually Mesoamericans cultivated at least 13 species of grains. Domesticated barley was discovered in archaeological sites in Arizona and Midwestern states 25 years ago, and it could well have grown in Mexico too. Coe says, quote, they had the compass to navigate by, close quote. Not at all. What they had was a device that gave Lehi's original party travel instructions, but it worked by faith, not on any mechanical or compass principle. Dalen says, quote, there are steel swords mentioned in the Book of Mormon, or shields, or helmets, or whatever. Close quote. Coe says, quote, yes, that's correct. Close quote. Lehi's party carried with them on their trek a sword of steel that was preserved as a sacred relic. When Nephites and Lamanites by the thousands were armed with swords, they obviously would not necessarily have been made of metal, nor is there any reason from the text to suppose that they were. At one point, a large group of Lamanites fled from military service by going to the place of arms to defend themselves. The description of the situation makes it appear to be an obsidian outcrop, possibly El Chayal. Their swords were very probably the obsidian-edged weapons called Maquidal by the Aztecs. However, at one point in Jaredite history, the record says that they made swords out of steel. This is clearly an unexplained anomaly. However, Note that the term that is read steel in the King James Bible is currently translated by experts as bronze. A large variety of shields is known to have been used by Mesoamerican warriors from pre-classic times onward, but helmets are not mentioned at all in the Book of Mormon. Coe says, quote, wheeled toys are known in classic times in Veracruz, close quote. Actually, these begin, at Teotihuacan at least, immediately after the time of Christ, not just in the classic. Coe says, quote, Let's do the coins. If there were coins, they would be chocolate beans. Why aren't chocolate beans mentioned in the Book of Mormon? Close quote. Years ago, the word coinage was gratuitously inserted in the heading of Alma 11 by LDS editors. It has since been removed. There is no use of the term coins in the text. The Nephites used money, but evidently Nephite money, like that in the Israelite homeland, the shekel, was in weight-determined units of some valued substance. Cocoa beans were in use, how early we do not know, among the Maya, but throughout Mesoamerica a variety of other materials also served as money. The constant fallback on Maya culture is understandable in the podcast and in terms of your archaeological background, but Nephite culture was not closely congruent with Maya culture. Coe says, quote, silk? Nothing. Close quote. The Spaniards described at least five Mesoamerican varieties of what they termed silk, or its equivalent. None of them used the species of silkworm that prevailed in East Asia. Coe says, quote, 
seven-day calendar was unknown in Mesoamerica, close quote. Helen Neuenschwander agreed with Eric Thompson that there was a seven-day week feature, one based on a logical division, one-fourth, of a 28-day lunar month. In any case, the three mentions in the Book of Mormon of week do not say that the period was seven days. Weeks of other lengths are known in various cultures around the world. Coe says, quote, chariots? They never had chariots, close quote. This may be correct. The meaning of chariots mentioned in the Book of Mormon text remains mysterious. They are mentioned only on two occasions in very limited geographical areas in connection with horses. And, by the way, no chariot has ever been excavated in Palestine, despite documentary statements implying that they were very numerous. Coe says, quote, pig, zero. Not one pig bone has ever shown up in pre-Columbian excavations, close quote. Oh, come now. Peccaries were hunted, kept, and even herded, and they surely are pigs. Coe says, quote, Elephants? There's nothing. Absolutely zero. The Clovis people, about 10,000 B.C., killed them all. Close quote. This is a good instance of converting Paul Martin's hypotheses into fact without checking the data. Mastodon remains have been dated by radiocarbon to around 5,000 B.C. in Florida around the Great Lakes to 4,000 B.C., in the Mississippi Valley to nearly 3,300 B.C., perhaps to nearly 100 B.C. near St. Petersburg, Florida, and at sites in Alaska and Utah dating around 5,000 B.C. In the Book of Mormon, mention of elephants occurs in a single verse in the Jaredite account, dated in the 3rd millennium B.C., after which the record is silent. Coe says, quote, Every time you look at the illustrations in the popular edition of the Book of Mormon, you see that it's a Maya city. Close quote. What do popular illustrations have to do with actual history? And even then, how would you know that the illustrator had in mind a Maya city instead of merely a Mesoamerican city? There is too much gratuitous Mayanization going on throughout this entire discussion. The texts Nephites were not Maya in all probability. The Lamanites may have been in part. Coe says, quote, there are no King Benjamins or anybody like that, close quote, in Mayan literature. Fallacious thinking. Would you say there are no Jesus Christs or anybody like that in Roman monuments or literature? Would you expect there to be? This has no relevance to the question of whether there was a Jesus Christ. Furthermore, history was often rewritten by successors. Islamic records of Tunisia make no mention of St. Augustine or Hannibal the most famous theologian and warrior of pre-Islamic times. As Nigel Davies noted, quote, I am more than ever convinced the codices were destroyed at intervals, and history was then rewritten to suit the ruler of the day. Close quote. Coe says when, quote, we start getting extensive Maya inscriptions, they don't mention any of these wonderful people out of the Book of Mormon. Nothing. Close quote. See the point immediately above. But how do you know the Nephites are not mentioned? Mention is a matter of using a name or ethnic label. But what name would the Maya used if they had referred to the Nephites? Surely not the English translation Nephites. Of course, we do not know the native name in any language that the Nephites bore. Coe says, There is no writing for the Olmec, quote, which is peculiar if these people came from the Middle East, close quote. Not quite, the Cascajal block is joined by the Tretapon figure at San Jose Magote 
and the item reported by rust et al from near san lorenzo all are dated to the olmec era mike in two thousand six you co-authored a paper on the Cascajal block in science describing it as the oldest writing in the new world your discussion and description seem confused because you tell dalen that this block contains olmec writing dating to nine hundred to eight hundred b c immediately after claiming that there is no writing for the olmec none zero moreover fred peterson found a cylinder seal at tlatilco that was reported on by dave kelly and that both he and john graham at berkeley believed to bear writing that seal has been dated at oxford by thermoluminescence at two thousand to three thousand two hundred years ago coming from tlatilco and dating so it has to be olmec it has tentatively been connected stylistically to cylinder seals in iran of the third millennium by a near east seals expert who was not told of its mexican provenance co says about population quote, the aztecs could field fairly good-sized armies but never that size, hundreds of thousands. Close quote. The following facts are documented. The Quiche force, opposing the Spaniards, numbered 232,000, despite the fact that some groups abstained from the alliance. The Aztecs mustered a force of 400,000 in a fairly routine campaign against a nearby kingdom. More problematic is Alba Ixlil Xochitl's account of Central Mexican history according to which a combined Aztec army at one point consisted of 700,000 men. Of the hazier past, the historian said that in the last war of the Tultecs, which lasted three years and two months, a total, including women, of 5,600,000 persons were slain. Even if we skeptically and arbitrarily reduced that figure by 90%, the number would be of the same order of magnitude as that reported in the Book of Mormon for the final battle at Camorra. Coe says, quote, There are no Semitic words whatsoever in Mayan. It's got no relation whatsoever with any languages that we know of in the Old World. Close quote. No archaeologist is qualified to speak in these absolute terms on this abstruse subject. Brian Stubbs, a leading scholar on the Udo Aztecan language family, has shown that the languages of that group show major similarities with Hebrew and Egyptian. He concludes that the Udo-Aztecan family developed as a Creole tongue formed from Hebrew, Egyptian, and a native ancestral language of central Mexico that then divided multiple times. Some, but not all, other Mesoamerican tongues show similar characteristics. Meanwhile, a number of other Native American languages have been shown to be connected to Old World sources, few of which had been suspected. Morris Swadesh was among other linguists who feel that, quote, it is perfectly possible that a group of people having arrived, speaking a new language in the New World, eventually was absorbed into an already established linguistic community, close quote. The phenomenon he describes would be like what took place with the native Toltecs, who migrated into Guatemala, where they came to dominate local populations. Quote, linguistic patterns of highland Guatemala suggest that Toltec influence involved no mass migration of Nahua speakers to the highlands. Only a small number of the Toltecs must have come in contact with a well-established indigenous population, the invader's tongue being absorbed with the linguistic milieu of the more numerous indigenous population. Close quote. 
After only about 500 years, Robert Carmack found very little linguistic or cultural, let alone archaeological, evidence for their presence there as their history in the Popol Vuh reported. Yet today, no Mesoamerican scholar considers the Popol Vuh anything but a fundamental source on the native pre-Spanish culture. The Book of Mormon is in the same situation. About Joseph Smith Dalen says, quote, Joseph Smith himself, you know, would walk around and see a pile of bones and say that was the famous Nephite warrior Zeph, or whatever. He would see a city and say this was the ancient city of blah blah blah. Close quote. This was not contradicted by Coe. This statement is vastly overblown in terms of Smith's real history. He made no such practice. Coe says Joseph Smith, quote, claimed that the Book of Abraham was in Reformed Egyptian and that he could read it, close quote. Factually untrue, Joseph never said the record was in Reformed Egyptian. He said he translated the Abraham record from Egyptian by inspiration, not because he could read it. Coe says Joseph Smith, quote, sees the incredible people like the Comanche and the Sioux and Cheyenne and people like that. That probably would have influenced him a lot. He had to have horses, close quote. Patently impossible. Nothing was known in the eastern United States about horse-using Plains Indians in Joseph's day, the 1820s. In any case, the Book of Mormon never suggests that horses were ridden by anybody. About Book of Mormon Archaeology and the NWAF On the New World Archaeological Foundation, Coe says, quote, they never really found plates of gold or wheels or steel swords or anything of the sort. Constantly arriving there in early days were slight screwballs out of Salt Lake and places like that, coming down with metal detectors, running around trying to find plates of gold and what not. This must be based on gossip or rumor at best. The NWAF's history yields nothing that suggests such an objective was held or that such weird visits ever took place nor do surviving personnel know of anything like this. Coe says, John Robertson, a quote, fantastically good linguist, close quote, perhaps of interest, after Robertson retired from the BYU faculty, he and his wife served an LDS mission, during which, among other things, they averred the authenticity of the Book of Mormon. Coe says, quote, land bridge into Asia, this is something the Book of Mormon archaeologists don't really like to talk about. Close quote. Why this statement was made is a complete mystery. In the first place, because the frequent expression Book of Mormon archaeologists has no actual reference. Not a single archaeologist I know, or of whom I have heard, does or would call himself or herself a Book of Mormon archaeologist. I know of only two who ever did so, Wells Jakeman and Ross Christensen, both of whom have been deceased for quite a while. A few pseudo-archaeologists of a journalistic stripe lurk around the fringes of the Mormon intellectual community, but they are all pretension and no substance. Moreover, there is no reason that archaeologists who are Mormon would hesitate to discuss the Bering Strait route. Book of Mormon archaeologist implies someone trained to a professional level who focuses inordinately on relating that book to the results of archaeology, to the exclusion of following professional archaeological goals. Frankly, none exist. 
assertions or intimations that nwaf archaeologists have striven to find proof for the book of mormon are completely false nothing could be further from the truth starting with the first season of the nwaf in 1953 even before it had any connection with the lds church the operational guidelines were that the research be conducted according to professional standards without any reference to the book of mormon although the funding was from private lds donors pedro armias was chosen as the first year's field director upon the advice of doctors alfred v kidder gordon wiley and gordon eckholm who constituted a professional advisory committee for tom ferguson gareth lowe and i were the only archaeological people aboard the first season who were lds other student staff members included bill sanders and roman pina chan both of whom later became premier mesoamericanists who could hardly be supposed to be closet mormons from the beginning non-lds archaeologists working for the nwaf have outnumbered the archaeologists there who were lds believers from nineteen fifty five on after ferguson had appealed to the church for support funds having exhausted his private funding sources the eminent j alden mason an emeritus professor at the university of pennsylvania who had become editor of nwaf publications and who also assisted with archaeology supported a judgment from ed Shuke about the nwaf when mason made a definitive statement on the non-involvement of the lds church authorities in planning or reporting the nwaf research that position never varied from then to the present with such powerful professional assurances your own assessment visit to the chiapas operation was hardly necessary moreover your current intimation that there was a hidden church agenda behind its generous support of the nwaf is both flat-out wrong and prejudicial to any fair discussion of the foundation's role co says quote, the whole business of book of mormon archaeology is to find zarahemla to find the plates of gold that were inscribed at the last trump so to speak close quote. this deserves to be called nonsense without the slightest basis in fact near eastern links co says quote, so basically if you are looking for old world connections and looking at the near east you're looking in the wrong place close quote. co says quote, all sorts of things that are typically american nothing to do with the middle east at all there's nothing in the slightest bit middle east about the olmec Close quote. you might plead ignorance of any purely mormon efforts to demonstrate a relationship between mesoamerica and the near east but how could you not be aware of my nineteen seventy one article that discussed this very point yet that piece is now superseded by a two thousand and nine paper accessible online you might well not yet have seen this recent item since the outlet is relatively obscure it contains a list along with extensive references to the literature for each item of three hundred and eighty correspondences between cult and ideology aspects of culture between the near east in the second and first half of the first millennium b c on the one hand and mesoamerica on the other the striking nature and number of the correspondences make it certain that there was a direct diffusionary event that anciently linked the two areas i choose not to go further with this commentary it has become rather tedious my intention has been to inform you about errors in your statements in the podcast 
I am sure you would not wish to continue saying what is not factual. Finally, I have a large book in the editing process that deals with these matters in greater depth. The 97-page list of references includes 21 of your writings. When it is in print, I will be pleased to send you a copy. It presents 420 correspondences between the text of the Book of Mormon and Mesoamerican cultural patterns and archaeological sequences. On that basis, I maintain there is no alternative to understanding that the Book of Mormon could only have originated from the hands of a native Mesoamerican writer and that scholars will do well to study it seriously, not flippantly. This has been a recording of An Open Letter to Dr. Michael Coe by John L. Sorensen, originally published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, Volume 1, Issue 1, 2012, pages 91 through 109, read by Brad Haymond. For more information, please visit mormoninterpreter.com.